Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode 34. I'm Tom Barthel, currently serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran Church, a Wells congregation in Baxter, Minnesota. We'll begin with God's Word for You by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 10, verses 1 to 7. We'll begin with verses 1 and 2. I loathe my very life. Therefore I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. I wonder if David was thinking of Job when he said in the cave, I pour out my complaint before him, before him I tell my trouble. David said that in Psalm 142. In both of these, and, and oh, a dozen other times in the Old Testament, the word for complaint is siach, a word that refers to continuous vocal complaining. That's what Hannah said she had been doing when Eli saw her praying like a drunk woman in the tabernacle in 1 Samuel 1.16. Job just wanted the Lord to tell him what he'd done to deserve all that had happened. He was beginning to see God as an angry judge, a condemning judge, an unfair judge. That tells us that Job was beginning to buy into what his friends had been saying, that God wouldn't do this unless Job had done something wrong. Now the theme of the book that is God in his grace allows us to suffer, to teach us and to lead us closer to him, that's the theme we follow, but that's not what Job was thinking about here. Let's read on verses 3 to 7. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the works of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as mortals see? Are your days like those of a mortal or your years like those of a man that you must search out my faults and probe after my sin, though you know that I am not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hand? Well, here in verses that will follow in this chapter, Job is laying charges against God. Now, to begin with, he says, are you as petty as a human being? Job knew that God isn't a human being, but he got right into the gritty goo of humanity. You're not a human. Do you have fleshly eyes? And if as a man sees, you would see. Job wanted God to go and and do God things and leave the human stuff alone, especially the nitpicking. Stop probing every corner of my life, Job is saying. Leave me alone. Now, Job said, you probe after my sin. Now, the identical verb, tidrosh, is used in Psalm 10, 15. Seek out his wickedness. That's the Revised Standard Version. Only the word for sin is different. In in, in the psalm, Psalm 10, it's rasha, which is wickedness that's probed after. Here, Job knew that God is examining to find chata, which is sin in general, anything that misses the mark of, of God's will. Now, the apostle Paul takes us in a different direction. But Paul had Job to learn from. Paul can say, we rejoice in our sufferings. This is in Romans 5, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And Paul can ask a friend to join me in suffering for the gospel in 2 Timothy 1.8, which is only by the power of God. And when we, when we suffer, we don't ask God to quit his nitpicking. We ask God for strength. God will strengthen us and lift us up whenever we need him. He holds on to us and he guides us through his word and he gives us our faith to keep us connected to him through faith. We have access to his grace and we make his forgiveness our own. 
In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Amazing Grace, performed by Branches Band. Freedom in Christ is shared by Pastor Mark Falk. The right hand of fellowship. As for those who appeared to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, 
they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Galatians 2, 6-10, NIV 1984. The pillars of the church in Jerusalem. These are the leaders there. It is evident that they are strong in faith and doctrine. These three are apostles to whom Jesus revealed himself through three years of ministry. If they opposed the doctrine, the teaching of Paul, this would be a major problem, not just for Paul, for us. Paul is the witness of the gospel who most clearly lays out the way of salvation, a way free from the old covenant, a way free from law. If some of this seems like dry history, remember that Jesus is a Savior born into human history and put to death in human history. The history of these verses teaches us that the doctrine we hold dear, justification as a declaration of God by grace through the blood and righteousness of his Son, given through faith, is the doctrine not just of the evangelical gospel-proclaiming church, but of these apostles. Without the green light from Peter, James, and John, the gospel of Paul, the gospel of all true Christians hold as dear to themselves as life himself, would stop in its tracks. There would have to be discussions, debates, analysis, delay. But no, the right hand is reached out. They shake hands and the gospel goes forward. To Gentiles, to the likes of us, Germans, Norwegians, Finns, French, Italians, etc., etc., the work begins in Asia Minor, uh, Turkey, spreads to Greece and Rome and Spain and England, and now this gospel work lives among us. The right hand of fellowship was both a warm handshake of gospel love and a firm handshake of doctrinal approval. This is not a matter of outward things, of externals. The men in Jerusalem had all the cachet of those who had walked with Jesus, Paul had a past that included the persecution of their brothers in the faith. But those are, in a sense, mere appearances. Beneath the surface, at the heart of things, they are brothers in the gospel. This truth remains today. Whether a preacher or missionary seems important or not, whether he is a poor pastor from eastern Germany wearing his one old suit, or a coal-black evangelist of Malawi, or a brown brother in Indonesia, these things mean little. Do we, and do they, still preach the truth God has given us through Paul? In fact, still today, we rejoice when we give the right hand to fellowship to among brothers in our midst who come from a land of idolatry, but have been claimed by grace not only to put their faith in Jesus, but to preach him here and back at home. We are thankful for Pakistani and Chinese brothers whose lives and freedom are always at risk. All is good as long as Christ is preached correctly and faithfully. The right hand of fellowship, what a warm piece of early church history. What a joy still in the 21st century. 
Let us treasure our fellowship in Christ and pray for it to grow and grow. Living faith means no delay. Genesis 17, 23-27 On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household, or brought, bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was thirteen. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Notice that Abraham didn't have any command about how soon he was to circumcise his household. The sign of the covenant was something that God left Abraham and was left in Christian freedom for him to decide. Consider the undertaking of Abraham as he circumcised every male in his household. We know that he ends up very blessed by God to have a large entourage under his care. He and Lot have to split paths because they are too numerous. He has 300 fighting men, able and ready. Now, he's having a massive surgical undertaking for all these men. Who would blame him if he planned to stage out the process over the next week or perhaps month? It would take some preparations and require some recovery time for everyone involved. But it says, on that very day, he had every male circumcised. He knew God's promise was real and good. Why delay? Why leave room for anyone to avoid the circumcision? Why not do what his loving and gracious God directs right away? God has, of course, given us many directions. In light of his free forgiveness, his covenant through the blood of Christ, we are now directed to live as his children of light, his redeemed and forgiven children. He tells the unmarried to marry if they burn with passion, not put it off or ignore the fact that they are unmarried, or wait till it's convenient for them. He tells the Christian who is stealing to steal no longer, not gradually give back what he stole or gradually downsize his operations and thievery. Why delay any repentance? Why delay any obedience? God, I, I know you want me to do this, but I just can't right now. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow instead. God didn't have to give Abraham a tomorrow to carry out the command, nor does he have to give you or I a tomorrow to carry out his command. And Abraham didn't desire another day to show his gratitude and receive the blessings attached to the covenant given him. Ishmael would be blessed. The son born from Sarah and all others after him would be blessed by the Lord. Can you think of one reason why Abram would want to delay, apart from wavering in faith in the promise, apart from clinging to sin or selfish reasonings? There's not one good reason, so he immediately has all of his men circumcised. God gives wonderful blessings which are attached to some of his commands. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Why delay in hearing, listening, obeying his word? And the sacraments. Do this in remembrance of me, for forgiveness of sins. Take and eat. Do this. Why delay in gathering to be part of his table with fellow believers with whom you are united? Baptize all nations. This promise is for you and your children. Why put off baptizing anyone and put off the gift of the Holy Spirit? 
Why put off something which creates disciples of Jesus and makes us members of God's household through faith? Thank God that our Lord never delayed in obedience when He walked this earth. In our stead, He perfectly obeyed the Father for the times we did delay. And though He had nothing to repent of, Jesus obediently and resolutely set out to suffer in our place. And now, He lives to shower us with His blessings. Lord, help us have such a living faith, which means no delay. Lord, help us continue to keep our eyes focused on His coming rest. Though it may only be August, what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation of the Christ, has effect and importance for us throughout eternity. Some of you also might be thinking about Christmas gift ideas. This song, A Son, Emmanuel, is written by Koine and performed on their Christmas album, Emmanuel Lux. Hands that place the stars Reaching for the virgin's warm embrace Word that once was spoke Gathering waters cries into
You've been listening to episode 34 of Canaan Bound Podcast. The music shared on this podcast is shared by permission of the recording artist. We'd like to thank Branches Band for allowing us to share their song, Amazing Grace, as well as Koine for their song, A Son, Emmanuel. Visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com for links to these artists. This episode was first shared in August of 2013. Once again, my name is Tom Barthel. I was glad to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for listening. Was born.